0: setting up systems and more so that you can ultimately work smarter and build a successful, sustainable and sellable business. To sign up, just visit growyourprivatepractice.com backslash training. Don't miss the chance to learn how to effectively navigate the growth phase of the private practice journey. See you on the training. Hello and welcome to this edition of the Private Practice Success Stories podcast. I cannot wait to introduce you to Robin Drodler, who is a private practitioner in Georgia, and she's going to share her 16-year journey in private practice. And she has come through coronavirus. There was definitely a couple of rocky roads in there, but now she's actually growing her practice and is hiring. And I think that that's so exciting because now is a time where there's layoffs, there's people being furloughed, there's businesses that are really struggling. But how great is it that Robin is actually growing her business during a global pandemic. So listen to this because it's very, very inspiring. Here's Robin. My name is Jenna Castro-Casbon. I am part of a group of private practitioners who have taken client care into our own hands. We are skilled clinicians who pride ourselves on providing high quality care to our clients and their families. We are fighting against productivity requirements, administrative red tape, and and unnecessary restrictions we started our own private practices to take control of our professional and personal lives of our schedules of our incomes of our future we work hard for our clients but on our terms we believe in helping others but also helping ourselves we are not interested in competing with each other because we hope we'll all make it we are successful private practitioners, and these are our stories. All right. Before we dive in, can you please share your name, your location, and the name of your private practice?
1: My name is Robin Jochler. I am in Milton, Georgia, and my practice name is Advanced Speech Therapy Services.
0: I am so excited to to meet you tonight and to help you share your story with all of our listeners who are. Listening to us from across the U.S. and actually some people who are outside, and everyone is just always curious, how did these people with established private practices actually get started and what lessons have they learned along the way? So before we get into the lessons you've learned and maybe tips you have for others, take us back to the very beginning. What was your early career like? As a speech pathologist, tell us about how you got started in the field.
1: Well, I went to a small liberal arts college in Ohio called the College of Worcester, W-O-O-S-T-E-R, not to be compared with the Massachusetts Worcester, but I was in Ohio at a small liberal arts school. I went through my requirements and took a language development and children class and loved it and wanted to take more. And that's how I developed the love of speech therapy, which was the major of communication sciences and disorders. And so as a result of taking classes in that major led me to speech therapy. And as a result of that, that led me to the major and then leading into Valdosta State as my graduate school placement, where I did two years there. Unfortunately, where I went to undergrad, it it was not accredited to ASHA. And I didn't know that at the time. So when I took my classes for undergraduate I felt like I had done everything I needed to do, but then when I went to, well, in between undergraduate and graduate, I did work in the Florida schools for three years, and then I went out to graduate school at Valdosta State, and when I went to Valdosta State, I realized Worcester wasn't accredited to the American Speech and Hearing Association because normally when you start, you enter and you take all the classes at a graduate level with the class, and you all progress at the same level, but because I didn't have some of the classes that I needed As an undergraduate going into graduate school, I had to intermingle some undergraduate classes with graduate. So I started with one class and then finished and graduated with another. But I had an amazing advisor that helped me work through that. With that said, Mm -hmm. the big difference that helped me compared to other people is that my undergraduate, as small of a school as it was, had a speech and hearing clinic on campus. So an undergraduate, I had the direct contact and the direct experience with working with kids in therapy, whereas other people that maybe went to Falgossa State as an undergrad and then went to graduate school there, they didn't have that experience. So that was all new to them. I had the experience working in a clinic in undergrad, whereas they didn't. So it had its ups and downs, but ultimately, essentially meeting my requirements for graduation for Worcester led me to my, because I went into college not knowing what I wanted to do. But I, I do believe that when I was growing up and my job as a babysitter, mm-hmm. you know, or babysitting kids, I was doing speech therapy before I knew I was doing speech therapy. So I think it was a natural thing that happened that I didn't know I
0: was doing until it
1: became a thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it sounds like you were you were predestined to be in this profession. You just had to take a little bit of a winding road to get there, right? Sure. But then, for so sure. you're you're in grad school finally, and you're having to double up on some classes and that kind of thing. But then, then you got through grad school, and then what happened next?
1: After graduate school, let me think. So graduate school. So Worcester. Then I worked in Florida for a couple of years. And Florida was one of the few states that allowed you to work at the undergraduate level, but be a speech therapist. There's a whole other side story to that where they, the school system that I was working in was going to partner with like USF or UCF and do a partnership program to allow us to continue working, but also earn our master's degree. And unfortunately, they said there was no room in the budget. (laughs) Fast forward to going to graduate school. So after graduate school, I finished in 2000. I went from 98 to 2000. And then I got a job in the Gwinnett County School System in Georgia and worked with them for three years. But then also supplemented because, you know, the school system doesn't pay very well. Mm -hmm. So I supplemented with private therapy with other companies after school. And even when I was in Florida... And working in Florida, I had multiple jobs. It wasn't until I had my own business, if we can fast forward in time until now, I always had multiple, multiple jobs to make and meet, whether it was like working the school system, waitressing, doing early interventions, private practice, something like that. But now that I'm on my own, this is the first time I've ever had just one job, which is yeah. fantastic because it's like, finally, it's just one job and I'm done,
0: Yeah, <laughs> you know? So. Well, I think that you bring up a good point too. A lot of people have to balance multiple jobs to make make things work financially for themselves, right? Mm-hmm. So, I think that doing that with private clients is a great way to do it, right? And as soon as, I mean, I'm a big advocate for as soon as you're able to do that, do that on the side of a job at a school or hospital or early intervention, whatever you're doing, because it's a great way to earn more money in less time. Doing something that's part of this education that you've paid for, right? right. Okay. Tell us about what your early kind of foiree into your own private practice was.
1: That is a funny story. Only because I have an older sister that's two years older. She has three kids and... Way back in the day, my oldest nephew, who is about to be, he was born in 2000, so he's about to be 20. When he was maybe two, because my private practice has been in existence for 16 years, when he was maybe two, my sister had him in a gymnastics class or something. And another mom of another kid had her kid in gymnastics, and she was a speech therapist. And somehow they got talking And I was in the school system at the time. And my sister was telling this other speech therapist, yeah, she's in private, or she's in the school system. Oh, no. And this other lady was like, yo, no, no, no. Tell her to go private. She's got to go private. Like, that's just the best thing to do. And it got me thinking, and it got me thinking. But I was so comfortable with the school system. And I love the school-age population. And I didn't know how to take, like, a preschool kid or a nonverbal kid from non, being nonverbal to talking, which is so funny because that's a, absolutely what I love now. But I, at the time, it was the scariest jump. Like, how do I make that leap? But she encouraged, like through my sister, she encouraged me to look into it and to try it. And sure enough, long story short, that's what I did. And I made it happen. And here I am. So in 2004, is when I started my own private practice and started out on my own and got into the Babies Can't Wait program, which in Georgia is the zero to three population, connected with them. And that's how I got a good, solid caseload base. And then mm, just grew from there. And I mean, I'm no longer connected with the Babies Can't Wait program, but doctor's offices refer me, insurance companies refer me, daycare companies, whatever, refer kids to me and everything. So yeah.
0: I love it. And I I really like, I like what you said about, so two things that we've talked about sort of getting started in in like a smart way. So one is just starting with clients on the side of a regular job. The second thing is there's a, seems to be quite a few States that when you get involved with their early intervention programs in terms of being a referral source, that that can turn out to be a wonderful source of referrals When people are first getting started. Can you share just a little bit more about that for people who are might think that that's a really interesting idea? It really
1: was at the time a really great idea because in the sense of being new and there are so many kids in early intervention that are in the system and they need services and they just need resources. And
0: sometimes there aren't enough resources. And so okay, so you started off getting referrals from babies can't wait. And then what was sort of your next way that you started getting referrals as your own private practitioner?
1: I think it was recommended to me to reach out to doctor's offices. And I think that's where some referrals were coming in because I had the benefit of babies can't wait and having to reach out to those doctors. Then I already had that immediate connection. Then it was like, okay, here are some, like I reached out to them to say, here are some brochures, here are some business cards. Can I please send them to you? Or can you have them available to families in case they're in need? But a lot of times it's the insurance companies. Like when you get connected with them, They're the ones that are going to reach out and say, because I'm in network with certain companies, but I do take all insurances. It's just a matter of what their policy states, whether they have in network or out of network coverage. But I think connecting with doctor's offices was a good connection initially and um, letting them know that I'm available and that I and taking on new clients that they can reach out at any point in time.
0: What would you say to someone who was just getting started? Who who was like, I don't know, Robin. That sounds really scary. I don't yeah. know. I don't know about contacting doctors' offices. I don't know if I'm ready for that, or that sounds a little overwhelming. How do How do you do it? Like, what What would you say again for a total beginner? If you could go back and give yourself some advice when you were first getting started, what would you advise yourself about? Contacting doctor's offices.
1: Well, I could totally see it and I could totally understand it. And it's one of those things like you just have to go with faith and understanding that, like, okay, if I do this, it's going to provide this result. So, like, okay, so I want, it's almost like working backwards. I want the end result to be that I get new referrals or I want to have a connection with a doctor's office. Okay, what is it going to take for me to work backwards? Thinking backwards, what is it that I need to do to to take those steps? Okay, so I need to call the doctor's office. I need to reach out to them. I need to provide them resources or let them know that I'm available. Provide them with my, my materials, my brochure, my, my contact information. And it really is a leap of faith. Like I didn't know that I could work with preschool kids when I went from the school age to the, to the, to the preschool population. I just knew that with that, from what I heard, it was a great thing to do. And it was like a, it was a great opportunity and it really was the best thing that I ever did I just don't think I had the perspective at the time to know how great it was going to be and I think I went into it somewhat blindly not knowing what goodness was going to come out of it but because I and in some ways because I went in blind I didn't have the fear of the unknown because I didn't know what the fear was I just knew I had to do it yeah and because I did it I got to the end and it worked out. It really did. It was the best thing ever. I mean, I can look at my school school experience and say I learned so much. And that was really, really where I needed to start mm-hmm. to understand and learn things. And then I'm so glad that I had the experience to work under somebody before mm-hmm. I went out on my own. But then the leap of Taking that leap of faith to go out on my own was Mm -hmm. huge, but it it was so needed and so great. And the pros totally outweighed the cons, and it was the best decision ever. And I'm 16 years strong, so it really worked out
0: for me. I love hearing that. I love hearing about people who took a chance on themselves and thought about, like you said, weighing the pros and cons and figured out like how to make a life that they were excited about and be able to do the kind of work that they were Mm -hmm. excited about. Right. So one of, one of the other things that you said was that you, you also do insurance and you also, you take multiple providers. What's a, a, again, a piece of advice that you might give to a beginner who has a similar reaction that I, that I said for the doctors where they said, Oh my goodness, you do all these insurance companies. That sounds like overwhelming or something. So what would you, Sort of advise or tell someone who is just getting started in private practice. What is your advice about how to navigate becoming an insurance provider?
1: Mm, find somebody that knows what they're doing. I mean, find a biller. I mean, in the beginning, I tried to do it on my own, and I struggled. You know, I was on that struggle bus in the beginning, but then learned. And when it's funny because when I first learned of somebody that could take on doing the billing for me. I was like, "Oh, they're only going to do it temporarily. I'm only going to pay them the 8% or whatever it was temporarily. And then I'm going to learn what they, what they did. And I'm going to do it on my own. Oh my gosh, that is the best money I ever spent. (laughs) Like ever. Like that is money well spent and the hassle off my back to know that somebody else can take care of that and follow up on what needs to be. Because when I did it in the beginning on my own, I was in the field and I was working and driving to every client and I maybe had 15 minutes between between clients. So I'd drive, I'd see a client, I'd work with them, get back in my car, get on the phone, try to get to the insurance company. Maybe I did, maybe I didn't. like Hang up the phone, see another kid, 30 minutes, get back in the car, try again. Then it might be five o'clock and it's at the end of the day. Or you might be on hold with Medicaid at 445 and then five o'clock hits and they cut off the queue and you have to try the next day so the fact that somebody else could take that on for me and release me of that responsibility and give me that break between clients to just have that peace of mind Like money well spent. Absolutely. And there are other people that will tell me, oh, you can save money and you can do it yourself. No, 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 no. (laughs) I have too many complicated cases. I don't want to worry about that. Just want somebody else to take care of it for me. But it really takes the right biller to know how to check in on the unpaid claims and keep up your receivables and all that stuff but that that has been probably the smartest decision to hire somebody to to take on the billing aspect of it.
0: Yeah. And I think that that's really important when you're ready to start to grow too, right? Like when you're really starting to think about okay, how do I spend my time wisely? Because billers like they do this all day long. So they right. know the codes in in and out. They have procedures for how to follow up with payments, right? They know how to do that just like you know how to work with a kid with X diagnosis or whatever. So it's much better for like, especially as you start to grow, maybe not your first couple of clients, but as you're really starting to to grow up, you Mm -hmm. want to spend your time on income producing activities. If you can be seeing clients and billing for them and IE making money You can then really afford to have this other person do the billing and make sure that you're actually going to get paid for the services, right? And I totally get what you're saying about. I've had lots of times where I've thought like, oh, I'll I'll let I'll hire someone else for a little while and then I'll take over, right? And then you realize, nope, this is great. (laughs) I'm just going to let them keep keep doing it, and I can keep being in my zone of genius, and they can be in their zone of genius. And everything's good.
1: Because also it's like in the sense of where before I was saying like in between I was having to call the insurance companies and follow up and I had to be home by a certain time to make sure that I could reach a certain insurance company before they closed at five o'clock. Now I could work till six o'clock and I could take on more clients because I didn't have to worry about it. So I felt like I was able to maximize my day taking on more clients and not have to worry about that time frame of beating the clock to get the questions answered or to follow up on that. Absolutely hundred percent. I mean, there are people that do their own billing and God bless them, they're yeah. fantastic to be able to do that themselves. But it really is a godsend to me to be able to rely on somebody else to take care of those crazy cases of insurances that don't pay or those. Cases that have primary and secondary and one pays and you have to follow with the second or they don't pay the right amount and stuff. And just you, again, you stay in your lane, I'll stay in my lane. I'll, you do the billing, I'll do the therapy. Absolutely.
0: Well, that's one of the good things about private practice, right? You can decide, right? If you're the kind of person who wants to let someone else deal with that, then you hire somebody. If you mm-hmm. like doing it, then oh, you 100%. do it, right? Yeah. You can yeah. do do what you want. So what does your private practice like look like right now? Right now, given
1: COVID and, mm-hmm. and the pandemic and everything, I see the same kids Monday, Wednesday and Tuesday, Thursday, and they leave my Fridays open for evaluations and things or makeup day if I need it. So right now, on Monday, Wednesday, in the morning, I go to a Goddard, like a daycare center, and I see three kids, and then I come home and see all the rest of my kids. Via teletherapy. And then Tuesday, Thursday in the morning, I go to an autism center and see four kids and do them face to face and then come home and do the rest via teletherapy. So when I go in, I, I don't wear a mask, but I wear a shield. And then, and of course, when I go into these facilities, I'm having to check, they check my temperature and all that and make sure I'm okay and the parents aren't allowed, they drop the kids off at the door and all that good stuff. So I guess I would say I'm 80-20, 80% home and doing teletherapy and 20% in the field. My hope is next month I'll be more in the field and then there'll just be some isolated cases where families just aren't comfortable with me coming into the home yet. So we'll still continue to to do some teletherapy, which is fine. I don't know that I'm made for doing 100% teletherapy. I think a combination of it is fine. It was a huge, huge transition to learn how to take what I knew for 16 years in the field being able to do what I do face to face and yeah. translate it to teletherapy because, it, like, granted, it was wonderful that so many companies were av- were making themselves available to us to do and have memberships for free. But it was when do I have the time to learn <laughs> what these websites have available to me? And then, what's different is like when you're working with a kid and you have your physical therapy materials in front of you, you can just pick what you need to do and do it. Whereas when you're on the screen with the kid, you're like, okay, let me go to this website. Hmm. What, what website was it? Where was it? What was that part? Where did I, where did I see? And it's, it was time consuming to try to figure out how I could navigate and get to that point where it was boom, 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 boom. So it was a huge transition. I felt like I was relearning how to do my practice all over again after 16 years. But Now I feel like I'm in a groove. I found a couple of good websites I can rely on and it works for the kids that I, that I see. So,
0: yeah, I think, I think it's going to be really interesting to see what happens kind of as we're, I mean, we're, I think we're still going to be in coronavirus for a while, but in terms of like in theory, like what's going to happen with families? Like, do some people really want to continue with telepractice? Do some people like are just doing it like as a band aid and can't wait to get back for in-home services. And then same with clinicians. I think there's some clinicians who are like, yeah, this is fine for now, but I yeah. do not want to do this long-term. And but... I think that there's other people who are like, you know what? I kind of like this. Right. <laughs> I, might, I might stick right. with this. Yeah.
1: I mean, don't get me wrong. I like being home and being able to throw a load of laundry in or take care of something between clients and and be productive during the day and all that. But there is so much more benefit to being face-to-face and getting your hands on those kids and Being able to wrap your arms around them and hug them and love on them and sit with them and feed off of their energy at the same time. So yeah, it is different. But there and there are those kids that it works and then there's some kids that don't. There's kids that it worked well in the beginning and they were fine with it because it was new and different. And then the more they had to do it with school and therapy, then they had this big conflict. But with the 92507 code being undefined by time, it was okay to say. Okay, if we can get 20 minutes, yeah. if most of all my sessions are typically 30 minutes, but if I could get 15 or 20, but not 30, okay. <laughs> I want the kid to end successful and I want them to be good. So it, some, it's required some adjustment for some kids to, to make sure that we can get to the point where we're maximizing what we get rather than forcing them to do something and not getting anything out of it.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. Okay, so is it just you and your company, or do you have contractors or employees, or who do you have supporting you, in addition to the biller?
1: So yeah, I have the biller that does my billing, and then for, as far as space therapists, I have a part-time person right now. I have an, a full-time person coming on board next month, and then I've interviewed one more person that I hope will come on board as well. So for right now, it's just myself and one part-time person doing some I mean, she's with the school system, so obviously with it being summer, she's adjusted her schedule and stuff and helped me take on some new kids in order to prepare for the full-time person coming on next month. But, yeah, still hiring and ready to take on some more speech therapists if they're in the area and wanting to work part-time
0: or full-time. Absolutely. I also really love that when, when this all started back in like March, I feel like, in, and we talked about the transition to telepractice and how challenging that was for everybody. And just, you know, like a lot of private practices, just really their caseloads plummeted for a little while and things were like really, really scary. And then fast forward a couple months and I've heard a lot of people are like now hiring, now growing. The pediatricians are back calling, making referrals parents are really ready to resume services, maybe parents who like took a break for a while. So a lot that now it's turning out to be a really good time for private practice. Also, because a lot of the schools are not providing therapy or not providing enough or the right kind or whatever. So there's a huge gap in services for kids. And I feel like we as private practitioners can absolutely fill that void and how great is it that not only are you filling it, but you're, you have such a need that you're hiring more therapists to help be able to see more kids. I think that's fantastic.
1: For sure. hundred percent, because I've been trying to hire for a really long time and it's been really hard, but absolutely. I mean, it's been a blessing that I really haven't missed a beat. I mean, maybe one client That was my youngest client at the time. That wasn't quite two, and he was my youngest one. The parents and I didn't know necessarily that we thought he was the best client for teletherapy. We tried it, and it didn't work. So we took a week off, and then something clicked. One session that we started working, where he, the kid, just started to wander off, and the dad just kept the like the phone on him and he wandered around the house and we started talking and using what he was doing, like made it more child directed therapy and it, and it worked out great. And the kid in quarantine has learned to walk. He's learned to talk more. He's built his vocabulary. He has now two word combinations building and the parents have been so great to encourage the, the communication, the vocabulary. He's not a kid that necessarily wants to imitate when you like, when you ask him to say something, but he'll say it in his own way, and he'll try to say what he wants to say, to do what he wants to do in a situation, and they can encourage it, but he doesn't necessarily say it in the way that you want it. But it's emerging, and it's developing, and it's it's been such a blessing to see that this young... When I started with him, he was probably 18 months, so it was probably right... He turned two during quarantine, mm-hmm. so right around that time, but he has... Blossomed, and I mean these kids that, and some kids where maybe they needed to build more expressive language. Whereas in person, I don't even know how to explain it, but like because of it being over teletherapy, they have to explain. Like there, there's yeah. so many kids too where with teletherapy, the parent, the the child has to be on a computer to be able to, when you share your screen, they have to have be on a computer to be able to give the control over to the child to be able to do something and interact. And a lot of times they're just on a phone or they're just on an iPad. So when they're not on a computer and you're trying, and I've shared my iPad and done an iPad app, what's fantastic is that what wouldn't necessarily happen in person is being required over teletherapy. Like if it's, a um, with super duper they have the hear builder apps Mm -hmm. and we do sequencing and because they're not able to control the ipad but they can see it because i'm Mm -hmm. sharing my ipad on the screen they have to verbally say which picture they want or describe it to me or say it in their own words and it's requiring more verbalizations and then just just the interactions how was your day but talk you know tell me about your day what did you do today and you know, and then my dog, my dog might come into the, the picture. And then I have a kid that ne- wouldn't necessarily ask me a question, but he's like, Miss Robin, can you, can you, can you go get Miss Marley? Can you get Marley and bring her in? I want to see Miss Marley. I want to talk to Marley. And it's like, because you asked so nicely, I'm absolutely going to go get her. Hold on yeah. a second. So my dog becomes part of the therapy as well. So there's so many different components and levels to, tell a therapy that you never would have thought would have been part of it, but it it works. It works. It's pretty fun.
0: And I like how, you know, we started talking about how like your business is blossoming, right? But now we Mm -hmm. also have like your, some of your clients are really blossoming, even though this is not any sort of ideal circumstances or situation or anything, but it's great when everyone's able to somehow navigate this really kind of difficult time and make gains and growth and come out on the other side. So my, my like kind of final question is, what, what advice would you give to other SLPs who are listening to this podcast and thinking about getting started in private practice? Maybe they work in the schools, maybe they're recently laid off or have been furloughed or just aren't really liking how things are going. What advice would you give to them?
1: Oh gosh, the biggest advice I would say is just have faith because I didn't know that I could take a nonverbal child to talking because I was so used to the school age population where clearly they were already talking and when work with them on the skills that they needed in the school system. So to, to step back from the school system and go to private practice, working with that preschool population was huge. Like I didn't know, like, I don't, think there was a class in graduate school that taught me this is what you do with a nonverbal child and I figured it out and I'm so thankful that I did like I'm so thankful that I didn't I didn't listen to the fear that I didn't get blocked by the fear or didn't stop because I was afraid it was kind of like I knew what how great it could be on the other side and I knew I just needed to have the faith that it was going to work out and it did I mean it really really did and it, it really has been the best decision that I've ever made. I mean, 16 years strong. And for the majority of those 16 years, I've been on my own, but I have had therapists come and go and I have more theory was coming on board now and i love the fact that my business is growing because for the longest time i didn't i didn't need it to be bigger than just me but then the more the referrals came in the more i knew i couldn't couldn't manage them all myself i knew i needed to try to start to hire other people but just having that faith just believing that you've been through graduate school you've been through the student internships or whatever the internship and the externships through graduate school and you've been through all of it and you know you just have to trust that you know what you can do and even if you don't know you have you have resources you have a a network around you that you can ask questions and rely on and build on that because I mean if there's a kid that I have that I don't necessarily know what to do with I'll refer to somebody hey can you help this kid or can you give me suggestions or how would you approach this and we we work together so it's been a great networking system it could be like I mean, because our, our field is so broad, we can't do it all. I don't do swallowing. I don't do voice. So if a, if a kid like that comes in, I'm going to refer him out because I'm not the right person for that, for that family. I'm not going to try to pretend that I can do it just because the referral came to me. I'm going to find the right person for that family because it's a two way street, but yeah, just having the, the faith and the, trust that you've been through the process. You've been through the, like you've been through undergrad, you've been through graduate school. You know, you can do this. You just have to have that faith that you can do it. And even if you don't know, you'll figure it out. You'll have people that you can re- rely on to help you. I mean, you're just really, that's, that's just what I had to do. And it worked out. It was really the best thing.
0: I love it. What a, what a fabulous story. I love how you started off like a little rocky in school with the accreditation situation or whatever, but like, but you didn't give up, You got into the field and you were managing a couple of different jobs. And at some point you kind of figured out the seeing private clients on the side thing. And then you've really grown this into this amazing business and congratulations for being in business for 16 years and for growing during a global pandemic, right? Major, mm-hmm. major props for that because there's a lot of businesses that are really struggling right now. And like I'm so happy that you have figured out how to take what you can do and what your therapists can do and are offering valuable services to the kids in your area who need them. Robin, keep going. Thank you. <laughs> Appreciate it. Keep going. <laughs> well, thank you for being on the interview and thank you for sharing your story with everybody. And do you have a, like a website or social media? Where can people find out more about you? My website is com, And then if
1: you go to Facebook or Twitter or even Instagram, it will be Advantage Speech. So hashtag Advantage Speech would be the way to find me.
0: Fabulous. All right. Well, go find Robin. Tell her you listened to the interview and what your biggest takeaway is. Again, thank you for being on the episode. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Absolutely. All right. So how fantastic was that interview with Robin? I liked lots of things that she said, but one of them was about how she got started by seeing private clients on the side of her job in the schools. And if that is something that you want to do, if you are a school SLP and you're thinking, I'd really like to start seeing some private clients and maybe it'll end up being a full blown private practice, but maybe this is just how I'm gonna get my start, make some extra money. The best way to get started is by heading over to startyourprivatepractice.com backslash webinar and watching my free training it lasts about an hour and i promise to cover more about private practice than you ever learn in graduate school in just 60 minutes so again head over to startyourprivatepracticecom backslash webinar and you'll be able to watch that and learn a ton so thank you for listening to this episode and i'll see you next week now that you've listened to the episode i want to invite you to a free training do you have a business background Most SLPs who go into private practice don't. You went to grad school, not business school, but here you are trying to start or grow a private practice. The good news is business skills can be learned. And I want to help you make solid decisions on how to start and grow your private practice so you can serve your community and build a legacy while doing therapy on your own terms and your own time. And yes, make more money. I want to invite you to my free training specifically to help SLPs get the background information you need to know in order to be successful. There are two tracks, the start track and the grow track, because the needs of beginners and growth level private practitioners are very different. The trainings are short but thorough and can be consumed and put into action quickly. I want to teach you how to think, act, and behave like the private practitioner you are meant to be so that you can step into the vision you have for your private practice and your life. And the best part, these trainings are completely free. To register right now, simply visit independentclinician.com, click start or grow And we can get started right now. Well, this episode might be over, but we don't have to say goodbye. Head on over to independentclinician.com for resources that will help you at each stage of your private practice journey. If you're on Instagram, let's connect. Follow me and send me a DM. I'm at independentclinician. And if you're on Facebook, make sure that you join the SLP and OT Private Practice Beginners Facebook group. All right, off to help more regular SLPs and OTs become successful private practitioners. Let me know if I can help you too.